This is Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is then that this, even the wind and the sea, obey him? This is God's word. Good morning. My name is Lee Eric Fesco, son of Lee Edward Fesco. I'd like to make a deal with you. I won't cry if you won't cry. My dad would have really liked that joke. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for taking time to be here. We've, we've simply been overwhelmed at the outpouring of, of love. We've, we've received from, from all of you. My dad remarked numerous times in his last days, people are coming out of the woodwork, he said. <laughs> I told him it's no surprise when you spend most of your life investing in other people. Most of his life. At a very early age, my dad found that he felt very comfortable in the water. From his childhood into his 20s, he called South Florida and the waters therein home. But you see, my dad, he wasn't a beach bum. Uh, he and his good friend Richard, well, they weren't satisfied to sit around in the sand. They were more interested in moving through the canals in a speedboat, and it wasn't long after that that he began water skiing. And let me tell you something. My dad was a phenomenal water skier, and sometimes he would even use skis. <laughs> no, seriously, he, he, he was a barefoot skier. He learned to barefoot ski at a very early age, right down the waterway, probably as early as age 12. A 12-year-old boy gliding through the water without a care in the world. I was in elementary school, perhaps second or third grade, when I saw my dad water ski for the first time, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't fathom how my dad was so good at something that I had no idea about. That wasn't unusual for my dad to be sitting on a hidden talent. Never one to brag, just quietly good at something, and being happy knowing that he could do it, even if no one else knew about it. My dad went from the canals of South Florida to, well, that really didn't provide him much direction to do anything. I suppose he could have been a water ski instructor or something, but my dad would tell you he barely made it out of high school. He had no desire or appeal for furthering his education. A high school diploma was all the satisfaction that he, he needed. You might say he was aimless. He didn't have a sense of, of calling. He didn't aspire for, for much of anything which is just the kind of person the U.S. government was looking for at the time. <laughs> Have you nothing to do, said Uncle Sam? I'd like to send you on an all-expenses-paid trip to Vietnam. My dad was, was aimless, but that doesn't mean he wasn't clever. He figured he could outsmart the draft, draft process and beat them to the punch. Before he was drafted, he decided four years in the water 
is much preferred to two years as an infantry soldier in the army, so he enlisted in the Navy. I can't tell you for certain when my dad became a Christian. I'm not sure he could have told you an exact date either. But I believe it was in the service to the U.S. Navy where the Lord began to shape and prepare him for a lifetime of service to him. My dad went from being an aimless wanderer with no ambition to a person who suddenly found themselves in the middle of of structure, order, discipline, purpose, direction, and a community of people working towards a common objective. But most of all, he learned about selflessness and laying down your life for another. Those things aren't just good things for a person to learn. They're some of the very attributes we would find in our Creator. St. Augustine once said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. I believe my dad was hearing the faint echo of his maker, and of all things, it was in the U.S. Navy he used to incline his heart towards him. It was in the waters of the sea that pushed him toward the waters of baptism. And I believe it was for that reason that my father has always had an affection for his time in the Navy. As an old man looks fondly back at his early courtship between he and his lifelong love, this is why I believe my father's eyes would well up with tears at the sight of a jet thundering across the sky, reminding him of the sights and sounds of the aircraft carrier he called home for a season. It was his courtship with the Savior. And from there, the Lord would shape him, and he went from aimless to becoming a husband, a father, and a college graduate, in that order. My dad wasn't much of a singer. He was not any of a singer, really. (laughs) He was never the one to lead the chorus or, or give the starting pitch for happy birthday. But eternal father, strong to save, the the hymn we just sang, which is also known as the Navy Hymn. This was the only hymn I ever knew to bring tears to my dad's eyes. When he was just days away from breathing his final breath, he asked me to play it for him, and I did several times. He mouthed the words and tried to sing along with the remnant of a voice that he had left. He wasn't strong enough to walk, but he mustered enough strength to sing in a raspy, whispered tone, Eternal Father, strong to save, whose arm hath bound the restless wave, who bits the mighty ocean deep, its own appointed limits keep. O hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea. It was extraordinarily difficult to watch my dad over the course of his last six weeks or so. His body was failing him, and he would repeatedly ask God why. He would try and think back over all the things in his life that he'd done and try and trace the origins of this merciless intruder to his body. He told us he'd been having numerous conversations with God, and when we asked him about the nature of those conversations, among other things, he said he asked God why. The hymn that sings of the passage my my son just read for us moments ago, another band of brothers at sea is what this scripture talks about. They were being tossed about by a storm which threatened to sink their vessel. Meanwhile, the Savior sleeps in the stern of the boat. They asked a question very similar to my dad's. Don't don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're perishing? What an interesting question. What an obvious and understandable question. What else could they conclude? While they were in fear for their lives, the teacher sleeps. 
it's hard to miss the parallels here. When you see a man's body wither away in such a short period of time wondering, wondering if God is sleeping, it's, it's understandable. Don't you care, Jesus? Though my father asked the question, a question whose definitive answer was etched somewhere upon his heart, he received the same answers the disciples heard. Peace, be still. You see, that was a command Jesus gave to the wind and the sea, and they, the inanimate objects that they are, listened to him. And when we read that account, we have this tendency to think, of, think just as the disciples said, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We read that account and believe that that is the miracle, that he spoke to the wind and the sea and they listened to him. Let me tell you something, that wasn't the miracle. The miracle was the fact that a bunch of scared sailors could make their way over to God incarnate, grab him by the shoulders, look into the very eyes of God, and ask, don't you care? That's the miracle. Don't you see, please tell me what other religion in the world has the audacity to make such a claim. Every other religion in the world, if we ask the so-called deity the question, don't you care, would respond with, try harder. Maybe then your troubles will pass. Our faith, my Father's faith, gives us the very shoulders of God to shake in the midst of the storm. Of course he cares. He gave his very presence, the very presence of God, to calm our storm. Sometimes I wish Jesus went on a little bit further with his answer, and maybe he could have answered their questions like this, do I care? Do I care? Do you have any idea what I gave up to be here with you in this boat? Do you have any idea why I'm here? Do you have any idea what's going to happen to me 11 chapters from now? Does he care? Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus might say, the whole reason I'm here in the flesh is to give myself to you because you're dying. Of course I care that you're dying. And my father knew this. I know he did. Like the rest of us, in the midst of the storm, sometimes we need to be reminded. And in many ways, my dad never matured past the age of 12. He was always a kid at heart. He was always the one to lead the parade of laughter, and I saw his faith alive and well, and so, so many times in his life, he was the epitome of what I just quoted from Philippians 2, taking on the form of a servant and humbling himself. This is where I saw Christ most clearly in my dad. He spent his entire adult life giving of himself for the sake of someone else. As far back as I can remember, this was my dad. I'm not sure anyone could have called him a brilliant theologian, but someone who followed in the footsteps of Christ with the faith of a child, that's a good description of my dad. You see, my dad never taught my brother and me how to throw a football or how to hit a baseball. We, we managed to figure out those things on our own. But what my dad did teach us was how to hold the door open for my mother. He taught us the best person to make fun of is the one staring back at you in the mirror. He taught us how to work a saw and drive a nail and a hammer or lay a tile floor. All skills which we saw him repeatedly use in service to other people. You before me. You before me. That was my dad's perpetual state of mind, and I'm going to miss him so much. 
because in many ways, he was a best friend to me. If I ever needed help with a project around the house, or if I needed to move a piece of furniture, whatever the case, he was always my first call. Don't get me wrong, I know I have plenty of friends, many of which are in this room right now, all of which would gladly help if I gave the call, but my dad, my dad was not only willing to drop whatever he was doing to come to my aid, he did so just for the opportunity to spend time with me. It was you before me, not because it was his duty, but because of the joy it brought him to do so. The joy that was set before him, as the author of Hebrews told us of Christ. This is what my father modeled always. And it wasn't just me that he treated that way, it was everyone. It was his entire life. And when my brother and I were, were in the youth group, he and my mom were volunteer leaders. My dad's role was to set up the lesson during big group time. All the grades would assemble at the beginning and my dad would set up the lesson. Then we'd all go to our smaller group divided by age and grade to hear our, our, our teachers finish the lesson. As, as many of you know, I know there's some youth workers here today. Sometimes working in youth is, is a thankless task. As much as you try and get them to listen to you, sometimes they're, they're just too distracted to pay attention. They're more concerned about catching up with their friends or, or cracking jokes than they are listening to someone's dad talk about the Bible. But week after week, my dad would prepare his, his five to ten minute talk and, and try his best to hold their attention and set up the lesson for the other teachers. Well, one week he snapped. He stopped mid-sentence and said to the whole group, you know what? I've had it. I come up here every week and you guys just don't pay attention. You don't care what I'm saying. You talk while I'm talking and the rest of you are barely awake. That's it. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm tired of it. Goodbye. And he stormed off and slammed his door on the way out. We all sat stunned in our chairs, my brother and I, to say we were mortified as a monumental understatement. I never so badly wanted to melt into a puddle and just evaporate into the atmosphere. My dad finally lost it. But then suddenly the door cracked back open. And there appears my dad from only the neck up as the rest of his body remained hidden behind the door. And with his 12-year-old boyish grin and his smile, he said, today's lesson is on self-control. <laughs> He was so pleased with himself. <laughs> he was such a kid. My mom always said she had three sons, numbering my dad as one of them. And, and like a kid, even into his final days, he needed to be reminded of his eternal security. I'm beyond grateful for the fact that my dad's illness, though it felt so quick, it wasn't so quick that we couldn't say goodbye and have a few meaningful conversations along the way. His faith remained steady, believing Christ justified him and atoned for his sins. But like so many of us, sometimes it all seemed too good to be true. And he said as much to us in one of those final conversations. But the reminder he needed to hear was, was that it's not the strength with which we hold on to him. It's the strength with which he holds on to us. Peace be still, sailor. And it's no wonder he was given to some of those insecurities. His wife has an unwavering faith, though she would be the first to admit to you that it's not a perfect faith, but her assurance comes from the scriptures which she spent her entire life ingesting. My dad had two sons, both seminary graduates, ministers, one with a PhD who teaches at the seminary level, a pastor to the pastors. That one's not me, by the way. 
So perhaps my father believed he could never compete or live up to that kind of faith, but, but isn't it just like our God to make, make it work this way? It's the one with the childlike faith, the, the 12-year-old trapped in the 76-year-old body. He's the one that gets to behold the, Christ, the face of Christ first. Among us, he's the one, while the rest of us see in a mirror dimly, only in part, but he knows now. Gone are the insecurities, and now he knows fully as he has been fully known. In my, last, my dad's last hours, it was my brother who said to me, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for dad. I'm really happy he's going to meet Jesus face to face. And I notice some people that just sounds crazy and makes no sense. How could you be happy about anything in moments like this? Yes, it's radical. But when you see what happens to an aimless individual with no direction or drive or anything, with, with all kinds of vices and such, when you see someone like that go through a complete transformation over the course of an entire lifetime, why wouldn't you be happy at the prospect of that individual being made complete? And what else are we to conclude other than there is a God who redeems hearts and changes them? What else could it be other than a God who enters our storm and says to it, peace, be still? And the storm stills because he is present. Because his abiding presence occupies the heart of people like my father. In his final days, my dad's question went from why to how much longer? He got to the point where he was eager to rid himself of the body that betrayed him. His last concern remained for my, for my mother as he repeatedly instructed me to take care of her. But as my mom always reminded him, the Lord has taken care of us for 53 years. He'll take care of me still. And once his heart began to rest in the idea that he would soon be going home, one afternoon, my mom went to check on him and and he had his hand resting upon his temple. My mom asked him, is, is your head hurting? He didn't respond, so she asked him again, is it your head? Then my mom realized he wasn't holding his head. He was holding a salute. With his eyes facing heavenward, he said, permission to board, sir. And now my reply to him, at ease, sailor, at ease. Or perhaps stated better, peace be still. Your storm has been silenced. Enter into the joy of your master. God bless you all.